the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Media podcast. We are broadcasting live from Stellar Cartography. <laughs> Where? <laughs> On the Starship Enterprise. Enterprise. Oh, I can't do this. This is the Worldview Media Podcast. <laughs> and you are a crazy man. <laughs> They call me the big shooter. Oh, those people. <laughs> <laughs> and here with me is Miss Joyce. Hey. Hey. Sup? <laughs> uh, we are here on Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Your one-stop shop for all your dominionizing needs. And we are here to discuss Star Trek VII. Otherwise known as? Otherwise known as Generations. Generations. It's the bridge between. It is. It's a connective tissue. (laughs) That's right. And so, in this episode, in this movie episode episodic movie it begins with old guys from the original series from the trek yeah and i get the feeling did do i remember hearing something like they they tried to get spock and mccoy but neither one of them wanted to do it i think that's correct because they felt like you're squeezing us out man Squeezing what out? <laughs> the, the old series, the original series. Oh, that it was just a little too gratuitous. Oh, I don't know. They had gone past their time. The shelf life was over. Yeah, right. It's like their way of saying, you guys are old and we're going with a new crop of characters. Mm-hmm. And so it begins with Admiral, well, retired Captain Kirk... Is he an admiral, or is he captain? He's always the captain. <laughs> Alright, so retired Captain Kirk, he's doing like a press tour on board a brand new Enterprise. Yeah. 1701B. Mm-hmm. There will be many more of those. That's right. We'll get down to like triple F and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> And so, here we have, uh, what are we talking about now? (laughs) All right, so. Have you been drinking? (laughs) Not yet. I have my drink right here. I should probably take time out for a sip. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Anyway. So, the the Enterprise B is launching out of space dock. Mm -hmm. Maiden voyage. Going out, checking things around. And 
I found it really depressing that here in what the 23rd century, the press is still basically the press. They're basically like paparazzi and stuff mm. following the scene. And anyway, as they go out on this like, uh, uh, what did you even call it? An exhibition cruise with yeah. the press that they get a distress signal mm. and something serious. Yeah, they have to go try to rescue these two ships that have been trapped in an energy ribbon. Mm-hmm. Heroics from Captain Kirk caused them to be able to save a hundred and something. Or no, 42. 42, yeah. Out of 150 or... Yeah, one ship, one ship was, was completely destroyed. Yeah. But Captain Kirk saves the day and they, they rescue 42. But in the process, Captain Kirk... Uh, is no more. Is no more. He is killed. And then, missing in action. Right. Then you fast forward like 80 years to the time of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And the Next Generation crew runs up against this guy, Dr. Sor- Sauron. 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 Mm-hmm. Dr. Sauron. Mm-hmm. Who's Sauron? He's the uh, Lord of the Rings bad yes. guy. That's Sauron. The... No, that's the wizard, Saruman, is the bad one. Sauron is the big bad one. He's right? the big, the one ring. <laughs> yeah. He's the one dude to rule them all. <laughs> right, and so, <laughs> Dr. Soren is up to no good in spite of initial appearances, and it turns out that he has a plot. He's figured out how to destroy entire stars at one time, and he's working with the Klingons to mm. use this as a The bad sisters. Right from the house of Duras. Duras. The That's disgraced right. house of Duras. Never can get it right, that house. <laughs> and so, uh, the Enterprise crew figures out that what's going on is... Dr. Soren, Soren, what was his name? Soren. <laughs> they figure out the doctor, that, let's just call him the doctor. Right, they figure out that he was on the ship that uh, was, rescued. was rescued, but was he rescued didn't want to be rescued, yes. because apparently this energy ribbon is a doorway to uh, another dimension. Yeah, that they call the Nexus, Yeah, and apparently it's a really happy place. Okay. Guinan describes it as being uh, just wrapped up, wrapped in, up in joy yeah. or something. And she didn't really want to leave. She was on that ship as well. And she tried really had hard. Had been to in the that Nexus. Yeah. And so what they've decided is what they figure out. Oh, by the way, Data has emotions now. He's put just because he put a chip in. His he head. put an emotion chip in, mm-hmm. and he's having. Issues, yeah, dealing with emotions. Okay, so there's lots of things going on. In this world. Yeah, this I'm giving a adventure. very broad overview. So they figure out that what Soren is trying to do is he's eliminating stars that will change the gravity and cause the energy ribbon that is moving through the galaxy. He can kind of steer it to where he wants it to go by eliminating shift. a star here yeah. and there. And where he wants it to go, he decides is to this one planet where where he'll be waiting for it, and he's hoping then it will take him back into the nexus. Mm-hmm. 
The thing is, the star that he needs to destroy the last is... Viridian. The Viridian system. In the Viridian system, and there's an inhabited planet there. With like millions Pre-industrial, of they've got a quarter of a billion people or something. Yeah. And so if he destroys the star, <clears throat> they're all dead. And Which, no big deal, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Small price to pay to get into the Nexus. Yeah, for joy, unlimited joy and happiness. <laughs> Come on. Right. How's that not worth it? And so <laughs> it winds up Captain Picard gets down on the planet with Dr. Soren, and they're fighting, and he's trying to stop him. And while he's fighting and trying to stop him, the, the bad Klingon ladies show up, and they have... Infiltrated. They figured out a way to the Enterprise get past the Enterprise yeah. shields, and they wind up pretty much destroying the Enterprise, so that they have to do a saucer section separation. And then once they separate, and the warp core explodes, uh, the saucer is damaged, and now it's being sucked into the gravity of mm-hmm. of the one planet that they're on. Well, I don't know why they just left it impulse. I mean. Is that really how you need to leave when you know that your your drive is going critical and going to explode and you're just like coasting on? <laughs> That's the impulse is all they have on the saucer, though. No. Yeah. No. Yes. I don't think so. You can't go warp speed if you just separate it from your warp engines. That's what the nacelles are. They can only go impulse? Right. Well, how is that even small? Well, in, full impulse is light speed, though. So, they... It seems like they should have gone faster than they did. But. So they didn't take the opportunity to leave, and they wind up crash landing. And Doctor Soren is successful in his he gets it launched. Of course, Picard doesn't know all this stuff's going on. He doesn't know his ship has been no destroyed. Clue. Yeah. And so the guy mm-hmm. Soren launches his weapon into the star, and it destroys the star. The ribbon comes down. And the ribbon comes just <laughs> as he thought it would. And glory fills his soul. <laughs> <laughs> the ribbon came down and glory filled my soul. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Always got a song. <laughs> that works. <laughs> so there was much rejoicing then. So the ribbon takes both him and Captain or Captain Picard. <laughs> it's already got Captain Kirk. It's already, well, we don't know. He we was don't just, know that. He was just gone. Well, time is meaningless in the ribbon, so that yeah. wasn't really a spoiler that I... But we don't know if he was in the ribbon. <laughs> right, I'm telling you, he was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, and then, now what happens... Captain Kirk wakes up and he's in the Nexus. I mean, Captain Picard wakes up and he's in the Nexus. Mm-hmm. And in the Nexus world, he's got a family that he never actually had. He's mm-hmm. got a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they're celebrating Christmas in a traditional English fashion. English fashion. With figgy pudding. And right. With Earl Grey. Yes. A cup of Earl Grey. Anyway, Kirk Picard, Picard. decides at some point that oh, wait, this isn't real, this is just the Nexus. And in reality, I have to find a way to get back there and or do something. Well, he kind of gets a heads up about this when he goes to, into the Nexus because he, he gets warned by Guinan 
if you go, you won't want to come back. You won't want to be anywhere else. You won't want right. to remember anything. And time has no meaning there. So you can go back and see when your kids were born. You can go forward and see their kids. You can just do anything you want to in this nexus. So, he goes in... He decides time. he wants to go back, but he can't just go back to before everything blew up because he wasn't enough to stop Dr. Soren. So he decides he needs help. And turns out Captain Kirk, from Kirk's perspective, just got into the Nexus himself. Mm -hmm. And so Captain Picard goes to find Captain Kirk. Well, now, again, Guinness shows up in the Nexus and says, Hey, it's what an are you echo doing? of yeah. the Guinness. That's what she knows. says. Because right. he's like, You come back and help me. Well, I can't do anything. I'm not even really here. I'm just yeah, a figment of your imagination. Weird, right, right. Yeah. So. But there is somebody I know, and how does she know this? I, I don't know. It's just kind of... Because she wasn't in the Nexus when... <laughs> right. I, Picard, I, I mean, when that was Kirk a, was... You know, that's just kind of like... Hmm, that was a storytelling snafu, oh, uh, yeah. I thought, there. Anyway, so... The two captains meet, and eventually... Picard is able to talk Captain Kirk into going back with them and stopping Soren. So they go back to the planet at a space in time before Soren actually met Picard on the planet the first time. Mm -hmm. And so now there's two captains instead of one, and eventually they're able to overcome, overcome Soren and stop the... Foil the plot. Right, saving a quarter of a billion oh, yeah. people. And, Over one billion cents. And then that means that the Enterprise hasn't actually been completely destroyed. All the people are still alive and stuff. Well, we who crash landed. Sure they're all alive, but it's oh, better yeah. than it was because the right. planet actually exploded with everybody on it and for sure everyone would have been Yeah, dead. that's everybody dead. And so maybe some did die in the crash. We didn't They we didn't, didn't give us a that. list of yeah. But now dun dun, dun everything's good and and the torch has officially been passed. Captain Kirk said it was fun. Yeah, he said it was fun and passes on to the Thanks alternate side. The alternate side? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who's passing what to where? <laughs> Wait, say that again. <laughs> uh, Captain Kirk dies. <laughs> I just, I wasn't sure if he was passing something over to Picard. Picard passed something over this way. No, he's, he's gone. Captain Kirk is gone. He's gone. Okay. And so that's the end of the movie. Everything's cool. And we've made the cinematic shift from one generation to the other. Hence, generations. Right. So what were your thoughts on this movie overall? Overall, I like it. You know, but um, there were some plot issues. I think there was, uh, it was kind of nice to see some of the original cast members up and doing stuff. And Kirk was very much Kirk and, you know, wanting yeah. to be be the captain still and, you know, wanting to get up and wanting to tell him what to do. And... Right. So when they go on that first rescue mission, don't you think they belabored that? I felt like they hit that note several times and... 
made sure you saw how much he wanted to be sitting in the captain's chair. Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like that was needful. Well, and it made him kind of seem a little immature. You know, even if he had (laughs) wanted to do that, you know, I don't think he would have been like, I can't sit down. I got to, let me tell you what you need to do, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought they hit that on the nose a little too much. It's like the cinematic version of a laugh track. You know, the laugh track tells you when you're supposed to be laughing. This is funny, in case you don't catch it. And this one kind of belabored the point. Ooh, see, Kirk wishes he could be the captain. Ooh, look again. Kirk still wishes. Oh, and again. Mm -hmm. It was just a little on the nose for me. Yeah. There was another storytelling issue I had with it, because... If you're going to create this alternate universe, the Star Trek universe, fine. Make up all your technology and, and, and set the rules for how the technology works, that's fine. But then you have to stick within those rules or it becomes irritating. <laughs> and what was irritating to me is they don't, I don't think Star Trek always does a great job of playing within the rules of their own system of warp drive. Mm-hmm. This gets a little mathematical. Yeah. But warp drive is supposed to go analogically, which means that warp 1 is the speed of light, and warp 2 is not twice the speed of light. It's 10 times the speed of light. So warp 3 is 100 times, and warp 4 is 1,000 times the speed of light. So by the time so you, you... rip a hole... Yeah, and by the time you get to by the time you get to warp nine, it's uh, it's outrageous how fast you're going. So, mm-hmm. I actually did the calculations in my head. Oh, <laughs> and so, were you drinking? I, I don't know when I did them. I might have been in the shower and thinking, "Wait a second, the math isn't right." <laughs> That uh, when they initially got the distress call from the two ships, it said they were three light years away. Mm-hmm. And then they take off at maximum warp. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there are a bunch of tense moments. Everybody's walking around waiting to get there. And what will we do when we get there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But assuming warp nine is maximum warp, they should have been there in like a fraction of a second. Fraction of a second. Well been like okay. teleporting. But yeah. as they're going to this event, they're realizing they have no medical staff. They have no torpedoes. They don't no tractor beam. You know, they're not even fully outfitted. So are they really going what is their maximum work? <laughs> yeah, oh you're <laughs> saying they put an engine in this thing. <laughs> you know, I, it's just it blows my mind. We're doing this this little voyage, this little cruise, and there's nobody on the ship. They don't have, they're not at full complement, they don't, they're not fully equipped, they're just, right. and you know, why? Oh, so you're thinking when he said maximum warp, he just meant as fast as we can go? Well, it's possible, because they say, okay, what you need to do is put a tractor beam on it. Oh, I don't have a tractor beam. You're right. You well, know. see, the oh, other place... I don't have torpedoes, oh. <laughs> The other place where this messed up is that when they're learning about the ribbon and what it is, doesn't Data say the ribbon goes through the galaxy every 39 years or something like that, every 32? or Probably, yeah. 
Okay, so... Like a comet? <laughs> right, it's like a comet. It's on this apparently circular course, and it, and it moves through the galaxy every 32 years. But that can't be right, because the galaxy is a gigantic place, right? And even going warp 9, you're going to take a thousand years to go well, maybe across it's the galaxy. like in a region. Maybe it's a region. Uh, I thought they said it moves through the galaxy every 39 years. But, I mean, when they say the galaxy, do they mean like, you know, like my neighborhood? It moves through my neighborhood every 39 years. <laughs> I mean, how big is your neighborhood? Is it just the block that you live on? Okay, it... so if the galaxy is... <laughs> if the galaxy is like this pinwheel shape, you're... I guess I heard it like they're saying it, it traverses the diameter of the pinwheel, but that would probably not be right. Yeah, that would You're saying it probably enters from, like, perpendicular to the pinwheel and moves through and then circles around and comes back. But, well, uh, uh, It's space. Who can know? Right. But maybe there's more than one ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> And what took Soren so long if it goes every 39? I mean, why did he take as much time? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Why didn't he just fly into the ribbon? Yeah. Why didn't he... Well, they said because ships can get destroyed trying to get close. But it seems to me, it, at some point you're close enough the ribbon just picks you up. I mean, you don't have to physically... Yeah touch the ribbon in order to get into the nexus, do you? I don't, I don't think so. All but right. Well, some of that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's so eh, a little flawed, perhaps. If your ship is flying to the ribbon and you get, and it destroys your ship as soon as you get real close to it, is that not close enough to get in? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't know if it's the, the little tentacle pieces that are coming off the ribbon that that's what destroyed. does the phasing to oh. take you out. I don't know. <sighs> Alright, but it just seemed to me when, like when the, the ships are in distress, they're at the first, Scotty's trying to boom them out, and he's saying these people are phasing in and out of our mm -hmm. space-time continuum or whatever. Yeah. So they would have been phasing in and out on the other ship too, right? The one that got destroyed. Well, yeah, but you don't know if they were... In what part of phase were they <laughs> when it was destroyed, you know? Right, okay. And then that's uh, that's another interesting thing, that it would phase uh, organic matter, but not inorganic matter. Oh, yeah. You know, why doesn't the whole ship go? Yeah. Why is it just, I don't know. See, there's, there's some trouble. <clears throat> Well, the Nexus does seem to be designed, doesn't it, to, it seems designed to provide what every inhabitant wants. So that's kind of weird. Do you have any other storytelling issues? I just felt like the whole, I really thought everything with Captain Kirk was dumb. Yeah, it, it didn't do much for his character. And then but seriously, yet it was still very Kirk. I mean, yeah, but you're gonna have Captain Kirk have his last words be, "It was fun." No, it was, "Oh my." Those were his oh, last yeah, words. Yeah. He, he did say, "Oh my," right, right, right. 
What was that? He saw death coming for him? Or? I don't know. And I thought, at the very end, when you see Picard in a pile of rocks, I mean, really? You're not going to tell anybody <laughs> that Kirk came back and he helped you? You're just going to leave him <laughs> under a pile of rocks with his little... Yeah, I hadn't Insignia thought about on that. on top of it? I'm like, come on, Because the Federation shows up right yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, they, yeah. they're coming to rescue them and do a cleanup mission. They could have taken and, Kirk's body. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> hey, Captain's prerogative. He can either take the body or just bury him under some rocks. And it wasn't even a big pile of rocks, which made me suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I would fit under that pile of rocks. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't sealed. Well, he had a lot of broken bones and stuff. He yeah, could, I don't know. He was just kind of folded Maybe. underneath the rocks. All right. And it wasn't even like oozing gut coming out from under the rocks. I just didn't think it was right. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> it wasn't right, I tell you. The captain deserved it. All right, probably so. We should stop and take our break. We'll be right back. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. back worldview media podcast talking about star trek generations and we want to talk about uh what the movie preaches and how it preaches it mm-hmm. uh what kind of themes did you spot some are fairly obvious i think but oh really some. go ahead go <laughs> well, ahead I think i'll you tell missed, you uh, you missed one that i think is important in the story is with jean-luc and the loss of his brother and nephew and just how he um, how he looks at life and what that means. I think there's stuff with leaving a legacy. And you can definitely tell with his worldview that he really doesn't think it's very finite. You have this moment and there's nothing before it and there's nothing after it. And then that's it. You're just no more. And there's, um, you know, so I thought that was really kind of sad. Yeah. And... Of course, since now there is no Picard to carry on the family name, you know, that's really kind of a big downer for him. Right. But yet, with his mind frame saying, 
all I have is right now anyway, and how do you leave a legacy if you, if it's just a, a little snippet of tape and that's it, and then it gets thrown in the trash when you're done. <laughs> so I didn't understand why he was so broken up about it when that's what he thought. It didn't seem to, to um, mesh. Yeah, yeah. That you're saying his worldview can't really account for things like family and history having any real meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, just he was worried about a legacy and yeah. um, didn't really think about a family because, well, somebody else has right. already taken care of that. But, you know, suddenly that's not taken care of. And so um, just the idea of legacy and duty and family and what is what are these things and how do they really work with his worldview. Yeah. Because it um, there is nothing lasting with his worldview. No, that's right. So, so how can you have any of those things? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, and and you saw both him and Kirk expressing regret about never really taking the time to have a family. Mm-hmm. Was that just to show them as kind of they're very similar people or they have the same kinds of regrets? You know, we're trying to pass the buck from one to the other here. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe just showing a parallel there. Maybe. And then when, they, when they're both in the nexus, it puts them both in situations where now they have that family or they have the opportunity to choose to pick family over career and stuff. So that was kind of... Well, does Picard there. say that he really he would like to have had a family? Does he say that? It was clear that he regretted not having one. Because, I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking of the, the TV series and all of his interactions with the children. Yeah, he's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like <laughs> he wants to be there or interact with them. Or, he you hates know, kids. Well, I don't know if he hates them, but he's really uncomfortable. You know, they're, uh, you can just tell that that's not him. And so for him to suddenly be surrounded by... Kids, and it's not like one or two. I mean, there were like five or seven kids there. Five or kids, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of kids. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, his nephew was there too. And so, yeah, yeah, it just that seemed a little bit of a disconnect to me. And if that's really what he wanted, you know, he was looking at some Christmas tree ornament, and the light flashing reminded him of an explosion or the Enterprise. I don't know, or the sun going out or something, yeah, yeah. And then he said, wait, this isn't real. Well, now that... I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record here. Because the worldview issue that I saw watching this as a presuppositionalist, the reason Picard doesn't want to stay in the Nexus is because he decides it's not real. Both him and Kirk decide that it's not real. It's not reality. Mm-hmm. But they're both really there experiencing that. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it is reality. Mm-hmm. And here's my issue. And this is where I'm going to... I harp on this a lot ever since I read about it. But Neil deGrasse Tyson, who all the atheists think is the smartest man in the world, mm-hmm. not long ago hosted a symposium of theoretical physicists and other smart types 
supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really smart guys. Mm -hmm. And the whole symposium was a debate on the question, is, is it possible that what we consider to be our reality is really just a very advanced computer simulation? Mm -hmm. Which, for us listening to that, that's a ridiculous thing, mm -hmm. you know. But apparently most of the panelists there sign on. <laughs> said, yeah, I think that's likely. And they had reasons for thinking that. One of their reasons for thinking it, by the way, was that they just realized that in every area of science, the more they study it, the more, the more they run into rules mm -hmm. and laws which look a lot like programming, like somebody's like somebody decided these things into place how this is going to work. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. And so you run into these boundaries that reminds them of boundaries to computer programs yeah, and stuff like that. Been, someone's in control of setting yeah. all this up. And so, but it can't be anything uh, other than a computer program. <laughs> right. And so Tyson is quoted as saying that he would put the odds at at least 50-50 that the reality that we think we're experiencing is really a simulation. 50-50. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's huge. That's the presuppositionalist argument right there. And, and Neil deGrasse Tyson has granted it. And that is, for the thinking atheist, there is no way to know what's real and what isn't. And, and you run into these like village, village idiot atheists on <laughs> online yeah. teenagers in their basement or whatever trying to destroy Christianity and and, uh, and they'll often have a definition of truth that is something like well truth is that which corresponds to reality which is really just a way of saying truth is truth but yeah. but now Tyson has totally the truth he's given I away the it. house he's <laughs> given away the house yeah if it's only 50-50 that reality even is real, then what can truth be? Yeah. And uh, so here's my issue then. That that really is, that conundrum lies at the core of all secular humanism, all atheism. The inability to even say what's real mm -hmm. is right there. It's, it's at the founding. You can't get past it. They do but just by ignoring it and acting yeah. like it's not there. And so, given that, now you have Kirk and Spock, I mean, Kirk and Picard, these <laughs> uh, these uh, epitome uh, secularists. Now the reason they don't want to stay in the nexus is because they don't think it's real. And so they want to go back to a, air quotes here, they want to go back to a reality yeah. that they have no reason to believe is real. And and what they're experiencing in the Nexus is just as genuine and just as centered on them mm -hmm. as the reality that they think they left. Yeah. So the, they're upset because the Nexus is simulating reality. But Neil deGrasse Tyson would tell them that reality you left is more than likely simulated anyway. Yeah. And uh, Well, and just for, I, mean, I think Picard's big thing was, you, you know, Lives are at stake, but lives don't really matter. Exactly. Why would that be a thing? Yeah. You know, yeah. so I guess that's unfortunate, but... Well, so, is yeah. it even? I mean, that's the way the whole universe works, that yeah. things live and die. And, uh, so... Yeah. 
given atheism and evolution, there's no reason to be all that upset. Be choked up about it. The stars explode. That's what they do. Yeah. And uh, so for me, that was a huge worldview uh, gaping hole. Mm -hmm. And well, and it was different too because uh, Kirk was living in his past, whereas Cards. It was ideal. in the alternate past. Or, well, <clears throat> I don't know what that was, because he never experienced any of those things. That's right. But where Kirk was, oh, this is the woman that I should have stayed with and I should have yeah. married. And and so, you know, you don't ever see that on Picard's. No. So, anyway, I thought, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and all because of the... Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm -hmm. He gave away the dang house. There should be no more argument, you know. And uh, so anyway, I couldn't get past that as I was watching it. <laughs> and he did note at the end then as as Kirk as Picard and the bearded guy, Riker. <laughs> yeah. As they're as they're fumbling around in the ruins of the Enterprise mm -hmm. and talking about what has happened, and they're kind of philosophizing about life itself and and time and death mm -hmm. and and uh, did you notice there? It was it was a lot of mumbo jumbo for the sake of trying to justify feeling like their lives have meaning. Mm -hmm. Without having, without being able to, without needing to, without wanting to, uh, believe that there is a purpose or a or a being who mm -hmm. actually gives their life meaning, and that reminded me of like an atheist funeral a little bit, where the person who died is an atheist and all the family is atheist. What are they then gonna? Yeah, what's there to? <laughs> yeah, what are they gonna <laughs> comfort themselves yeah. with or? Yeah. And that seemed a lot like their conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think earlier in the movie, there's a big uh, interchange between Soren and Picard, and he's yeah. talking about how time uh, hunts you Stalks down. Us all. And, you yeah. know, it takes everything away from you. And um, right. and then, of course, Picard is, well, I like to think of it as a, of a friend that, you know, is traveling with me. And, <laughs> and uh, right. you know... It doesn't matter how you think of it, the result is the same. Hey, right. So, Death is coming for you, for yeah. real. Yeah. So, if you're feeling hunted or you feel like it's your buddy, you know. And like you were saying, you know, their their worldview, it doesn't really matter. Right. It doesn't really matter. And right. Death is as meaningless as life, and, and they're both to no purpose. But you still see... You know, Picard struggling with death and what does this mean and the loss and that and uh, and he's obviously broken about it, but he wants to say it's okay, it's fine because this is what happens and this right. is the way it is and um, it just reminds me of you know don't grieve like the world who have no hope. Yeah, they don't yeah. have any hope. So how do you grieve that type of loss when you don't have anything? You know, it's just, yeah, it's hard. Well, you saw what he was really grieving in terms of his nephew who who burned in the fire. He, what he was grieving was the loss of potential. Yeah. 
he imagined that oh His this boy would have grown this, up and gone yeah. to Starfleet Academy and had all these rich experiences and mm-hmm. now he'll never have those he'll never fall in love you know <laughs> right. and that seems sad because you know that his nephew was a real person yeah and it's not that well now he'll never be anything else but it's not grieving a person that actually was there. Yeah, that's right. He was grieving a potential, what that person might have turned into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. with no chance of ever, you know, there's not going to be any reuniting. or. Yeah, well, there's no resolve to that. Right, unless there's it's nothing. in the Nexus. Maybe he did see him again in the Nexus, right? Yeah, but then he left. But then he decided, and you know, and he didn't care about his brother. It was all about that. <laughs> Which I noticed. I was like, well. Robert did not make Robert it into the Nexus. Was, yeah. He yeah. was, uh, well, who knows what it was. Picard was okay with wherever that was. Suggs is not here. <laughs> and then, of course, you have the, the issue with the, with Data and the emotion chip. And, right. you know, he's always uh, struggling to be more human. Right. Because they've got it all sewn up. <laughs> yeah, no, that was interesting. One of the things that I noticed was the movie makes the assumption that humor is an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fascinating. I'm not sure I agree with it. And I guess I, I really don't think that I do. I think that I think that humor is generally a, a a facet of the intellect, and being able to know this is what's normal, and if I tweak that just a little bit, that's going to be funny. I don't see, I don't see. A, it doesn't make sense to me that Data couldn't intellectually understand the punchline of a joke. But as soon as he gets the emotion chip, suddenly he does understand why mm-hmm. it's funny. And uh, so that, to me, was a fascinating concept. I, I guess my initial... Well, I think there's a difference with clever and funny. And those two, I think you can be clever without being ha-ha, you know. Yeah. And so I think that's more of a, an intellectual type thing. And that cleverness can then, of course, be expanded into deceitfulness and, you know... Uh, I think there's, and why are you deceitful? You want to hide something from somebody. And I just think you, if you look at your computer, is your computer going to hide something from you? And that's really how right. they view data as just a, a really awesome computer yeah, right. that functions and talks and does all this stuff, but doesn't have um, that spark of life in him. So Yeah. And I... I think I also disagree with the notion that fear is is totally an emotional response. I mean, fear is a rational response. You know, now our emotion may take it and run with it, mm-hmm. but it's rational to fear the things that you should fear. You know, fear of God is eminently rational, and and fear of man is something that the Bible tells us we're supposed to overcome by deciding not to fear men. And so, although emotion is involved in fear, I think emotion is is uh, is really 
a, a purposeful, I think fear is kind of a purposeful thing that we choose, generally speaking. And you can get in situations where you have to just choose, even though I'm scared, I'm going I'm mm-hmm. to do this, so I'm going to follow through. Or, But I still think those are things that you uh, help develop. Yeah. In your kids, you know, because, sure. well, you know, one of ours was, like, afraid somebody's going to break through the wall, and, right. you know, is that rational? No, but was that a, was that a fear, and did we all pay the price for that? Yes. <laughs> you know, there, there are some things that I think it is kind of emotional, and it's not necessarily a, a rational this really happen? No, that couldn't really happen, but I'm terrified it's going to happen. And so, <laughs> well, why are you terrified? This You just said this is a thing. It's not really possible because it might, you know? And so I think some of that is just... Well, there is irrational fear. Is that, that's kind of why you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... She also thinks she has every disease that's ever <laughs> I think that's gotten better. That. <laughs> well, right. I wonder where she gets that from. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really have all the symptoms, though. <laughs> you do. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I, have this, I have, like, every symptom that's ever advertised. <laughs> as, the, as the bad side effect. <laughs> <laughs> right. Might as well take the medicine. I'm already doing all that other. Uh, oh, boy. All right. Did you have any kind of other thematic things? Hmm... Okay. Well, it's fine for us to wrap it up. Those are those are kind of big deals. I think the obviously the purpose of the show was to pass the torch. Yeah. And I felt like the writing suffered for that. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the time the plot was kind of not based on what's going to make for an exciting story, but it was mm-hmm. about how do we tell this story about how do we get these two together? Right. And, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not my favorite next generation. I didn't think it was good. And, and you know, here's the other thing that I wanted to say. I think Patrick Stewart is a really good actor. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of times he can convey stuff just with the tone of voice. And mm-hmm. I think he's great as Captain Picard. Mm-hmm. I think he's so much better than William Shatner is. And there were... I think there were moments, especially when they first meet, when the two captains meet... I think that Captain Picard was supposed to play this guy who's kind of uh, starstruck. He's in awe meeting this guy that he studied about and and did such great things. So he has a little bit of that going on, and it just looked totally out of place with Captain Picard. And... I mean, I think they wrote it that way on purpose. They mm-hmm. want to, they want to, they want to put Captain Kirk over, you know, and yeah. have him be the icon and, and yeah. all that. But the legend, yeah, the living legend, and I just under a pile of rocks. <laughs> I didn't think it worked. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens to you. <laughs> right. Loosely piled rocks. You just go under the rocks. <laughs> I can't believe that. And there's a shuttle just coming right up. What's... Right. Uh, Wait 20 minutes and then you just put him in stasis and yeah. have him on board. Yeah. 
it's already a goner, but come on. You know. Well, I mean, the stuff that decay, they could... Yeah. yeah. But that was just ridiculous. Too crazy. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was like, are you serious? Right. <sighs> so, thing. and then, I don't know, at the very end, when you know, they're going through all the rubble and stuff, yeah. uh, Riker picks up some little stone statue or something, and he's like, is this what you were wanting? It's like, oh, no, no, not that. Here it is. This is what I want. And you know, in another episode, that thing that Riker's holding up is absolutely priceless. There's like nothing like it in the world. <laughs> no, no. That's crap. I want this little photo book. This is what means everything to me. So, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Well, maybe they're just taking that out now. And I mean, then you because see the, the Federation's there, they're going to salvage what can be salvaged. Maybe so. I'm yeah. hoping. Except for... <laughs> Except for Captain Kirk, who's <laughs> <laughs> on a completely another planet. So, and then of course at the end you see Data finding Spot, and it's a touching moment because because he's crying and he says, "I don't know why I'm crying because I'm really happy. There must be yeah. something wrong with me." <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that will. Uh, the emotion chip and the struggles to deal with that will play a role in the next Star Trek movie that we're going to do. Will it? Star Trek will it? 8. And poor Jordy, he was used against his own sensibilities. And oh, yeah. So. Star Trek 8, coming on next, that's uh, First Contact. First Contact. A spoiler alert, my favorite next generation Star Trek movie. Mm. Is that really the next one? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of scary. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for sticking with us. It's been a long podcast. It's, it's great to have you all listen. But there's been a lot of laughs. A couple tears. Lots of fun. Lots of laughs. Lots of pain. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to suffer. <laughs> but you'll be happy about it. <laughs> hey, Jordan. <laughs> Shout out to Jordan. All right. Speaking of suffering. <laughs> All right. We'll see y'all next time. God bless y'all. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>